What is up, internet? Deny, deny, deny. Everywhere, always, at all times, and to all men. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I trust your little death was pleasurable and productive. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Last Duel. Uh, what would be the French title for this? Le Dernier... I don't actually know the word for duel. I think it's well, combat. Well, I don't... And... Sure. I, I don't <laughs> feel particularly um, in need to do what we've done in the pa- a couple of episodes recently about doing the different language because everyone here has English accents anyway, so it doesn't really matter. English? Let's put it this way. The accents are all over the place. There are very few French accents in this film. Le dernier duel. It was, it was the there dernier. Du- duel is the word duel. <laughs> the, the, word, the etymology of the word duel probably comes from France. Comes right? from France. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Well, Latin. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited. We finally get to do this one, uh, as as its as its name has been uh, heralded for multiple reasons, some fair, some unfair, uh, throughout the the film media press for the last few months. Um, and, yes. and I'm I'm glad we're we're finally getting to do it. Also, hey everybody, guess what? If I seem a little more wired than usual, it's because we're filming this, and by filming, I of course mean recording. Though there are cameras, though they're not rolling. So is it still filming? No, went, there's no you, film. You, you've got, you've lost me. <laughs> you, don't worry about it. We're doing this in the morning. I'm drinking coffee. This is normally I drink a beer. It's like a come down time because we do it at night. Now it's the AM, and I got my caffeine in my hand, and I'm gonna talk to my buddy Shahir, and we're gonna talk about swords and Ridley <laughs> Scott, and. Totally nothing else important or 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 uh, culturally reverent uh, at all. <laughs> well, I hope you got enough coffee in you. This movie was voted in by listeners. Uh, we we came to an impasse, which is that uh, there's a lot of great movies streaming right now. There's a lot of great movies available, and there's a lot of good stuff I want to see right now. Um, uh, and uh, I put up a poll for this. The choices were The Rescue, uh, Belfast, The Power of Dog, and The Last Duel. I hope we get to The Power of Dog. But I will say, out of all of these, I have seen The Rescue, which is streaming now on Disney+, and I will just flat out... Um, it, th- there's actually not a lot of discussion to be had about The Rescue, other than... You must see the rescue. Uh, the rescue is incredible. It is the story of the uh, so- the Thai soccer playing team, the 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 children who were lost, yeah, in, yeah. who got uh, trapped in the cave, and it is the sort of uh, uh, full details of how that ex- uh, that rescue happened, and it is amazing. Uh, nice. So wholehearted recommendation there. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to talk about it, but to be honest with you, I don't have a lot to say about it other than what I've just said. Go see the rescue. It's incredible, um, and it is. Is, uh, it is probably one of the easiest recommendations I've ever made. Uh, like, huh. I don't have to know you to tell you, watch The Rescue. My wife, who, um, you know, it, it's very challenging for us to actually schedule time together to watch a movie, um, watch The Rescue with me. And every, <laughs> it's funny because we, we share an office space. Uh, every call that she has with very high level scientists and people around the world who are working on very important things, she always ends the call with, by the way, have you heard about this movie, The Rescue? You Aww. have to see it. She tells every about this, everybody about this movie, and I am continuing that tradition. You have to go see this movie all right good um, deal and That's then fun. ridley scott has two movies out this year i was hoping we could do the house of gucci at some point because i've i've heard nothing but interesting things about that particular i know, movie. I uh, know. This, this is the 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 house of uh well the house of ridley scott twofer 
Um, right. But we are going to take the first one, uh, but not after some emails that we received this week about movies that we have previously talked about. That is correct. The uh, first one, which uh, you can reach here, <laughs> is from my uh, lovely partner. Who is this person? Jamie? This I don't know Jamie, this yeah, uh, yeah. Friend of the show. Uh, uh, a girlfriend of me and uh, all around uh, wonderful and smart human being, I see the beginning of this email, uh, and I'll just let you take it so I could, uh, we could keep going. All right. Jamie writes in, a defense. Matt, and she's talking to you here, Matt, and uh, you know what would be really funny if she used like the word Matthew, you know, because then you would know Oh, then I'd in be trouble. in trouble? Yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, yeah. name one fact about Ferris Bueller. You can't. But it doesn't matter because his essence is communicated without concrete detail. And we root for him. Ellie's sense of character is true and real. Uh, I should have prefaced this. She is talking about the movie we discussed (laughs) last week. Edgar writes last night in Soho. Uh, Back to the email. Ellie is a creative wallflower, ready to leave the deliberate shelter of home to accomplish her dreams. We also see her character as a genuine and compassionate person and repeatedly shine through the film as she takes repeated action to try and help Sandy, breaking the mirror, screaming at John not to touch her, etc. An attack. So this is the opposite thing. Any filmmaker that uses an art medium as a backdrop needs to take real time to honor and learn about what they've chosen. Wright seemed to have skipped all of that. Ellie could have been studying anything else and it wouldn't have mattered. What little content about design there was felt basic and uneducated. Getting made fun of liking the 60s is not a thing. Everybody loves the 60s. It was a revolutionary era that changed how we saw silhouettes and technological limits. In contrast, consider how Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread paints such a well-detailed picture of mid-century couture house. Paul Thomas Anderson's attention attention to craft is incredible and dares me to disagree with Shahir's point that Edgar Wright will one day achieve highest praise last night in soho may have shown his limits there's a lot there jamie thank you very much yeah uh, uh, you should go back and listen to that episode by the way i think it was yes. a fun discussion about that also movie. i mean you should so you should listen to uh last night in Soho episode and listen to our um the phantom thread episode where jamie was a guest yeah. um also but, watch ferris bueller <laughs> also watch ferris bueller yeah um i mean look i can get semantical about this too uh, i think she's asking you to I, okay, so <laughs> Ferris Bueller. Interestingly enough, uh, you learn more about Ferris Bueller through Cameron than you do Ferris Bueller, but you still get the depth of there. Actually, and then there's the whole theory of like, they're if they're not the same person, they're the sort of two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Like, you get much more about uh, their personalities and dynamics than you do, say, with um, Ellie and um, and Sandy. Like you wouldn't just you, do. You said Ellie and Sandy are also two sides of the same personality. Since yeah, but you don't. What I'm saying other. is, yeah, yes, they're both. The mechanic is well, no, 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 because she's seeing a ghost and she wants to emulate. Even if, you could go either way. Honestly, I'll give that a fifty-fifty. The way I'm sort of looking at this now is, I learn a lot about both Ferris Bueller and Cameron sort of through their interaction, where I just still learn that. Sandy is a wallflower. Sandy is in fashion. Sandy sees dead people. Or sorry, uh, Ellie. Yeah. You know, da 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 da. And I don't want to get into spoilery. Anyway, that's a semantical argument. Regardless, I still don't think that uh, whatever happened in last night in Soho tied me to the characters enough. Yep. But and then on the other side of the thing, uh, the attack. I love that she just in the, the email. I just want to make it clear for everybody. The email didn't have any like there was a title of course about last night in Soho, but then it just said attack or defense and an attack, and I was like, yes, <laughs> it was a real this, dueling situation. Yeah, that's cool. right. Um, and then the uh, the the I I do agree with uh the attack here about like if you're gonna if you're gonna couch someone's character and especially like have the end triumphant thing be about like 
the 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 vocation or the task that this person is sort of doing on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah, I mean maybe look a little bit more into it. Um although I don't think this is the reason we're seeing a limit. I just think this was the thing that I mean what it came off as and this is minor slight but I hope no slight like when you're when you're working on a project you kind of have to pick and choose sort of what your focus is going to be on and I just don't think Edgar Wright or at least it didn't seem like he was interested in fashion really it was that fashion was a backdrop fashion was a a shortcut to get to a certain thing which What's it, that, what was that song she's in fashion I can't remember you, you remember that <laughs> no, no, no remembers that song oh, okay I'm just dating anyway myself. uh very interesting points, and both uh, one could very easily argue to be true. So thank you, Jamie, for writing that in. Well, Jamie and I had a long discussion about this movie uh, back and forth, so I'm glad <laughs> we, we finally got to put some of that I would love it if she was ether. actually writing this email while she was sitting next to you. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, I don't remember, but we'll see. Uh, um, just, But just to that point as well, I think I want to point out that um, uh, I think I'm very invested in uh, the trajectory of a filmmaker's career. And not everyone is. And so if you're watching this film without that investment, my effusive praise of Edgar Wright might come off as like, what are you talking about? This film is, you know, if you think this film is terrible and and I'm going on about how important it is in this person's career, you know, you might you might be wondering what the hell it is I'm talking about. So I actually take that point in into, uh, I, I think that take that point into, into fair consideration there, which is that while I have a uh, vested interest in a filmmaker's career and trajectory, that doesn't mean that uh, the listener or a person watching this particular, this particular film of theirs uh, should have that same kind of interest. And it's a, it's, it's always good to point that out. And even, even when you do have a particular interest in a filmmaker, again, Edgar Wright, I still couch as my favorite lit, like living, working filmmaker. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I can also not connect with the film he did. I can also like bits of it and be like, that was really cool. I don't really like this. This didn't get me, but that was awesome. Like, I feel like I'm, this is probably the same with, I'm I'm now going to describe to you how humans have relationships or even parasocial ones. Um, You know, if someone you like does something all of a sudden that you're not really into, you're more likely going to forgive that person just like, ah, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, like because the the you know you like that person and then you can ebb and flow and people have ups and downs and like whatever even and one person's up could be another person's down. So my point is, it works both ways. People that have an investment can also have the sort of uh, the positive and negative with a thing they don't connect with, and people that have no emotional connection can find that sort of positive and negative as well. So I don't know. It's 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 complicated. But you know, you know what I'm finding really fun right now is Steven Spielberg has a movie coming out shortly, West Side Story, a remake mm-hmm. of the Robert Wise film, and um, I've heard it's feels, excellent. Uh, I've heard it's excellent, and it also feels like people are kind of suddenly realizing that Steven Spielberg is kind of a big deal. Like, like there's a lot of people going, you know, on Twitter, on film Twitter in particular, going like, "Oh, this guy Steven Spielberg, ha- you know, hasn't made a great movie in a while, but yeah, this guy, he, you know, he still got it." I was like. It's Steven freaking Spielberg. And I and again, it's that point of like, I have a vested interest in Steven Spielberg. So Shahir, I it, think like a lot of people don't. I <laughs> think know? our old man is going to really come out in this episode particularly because there's stuff about the movie we're going to talk about today that I think plays into all of this, plays into exactly what you said. Twitter being like, huh. Oh yeah, Steven Spielberg. I remember him. Yeah, he probably still could make mo- like. There's a lot of that. That's going to be a theme throughout All this right. entire episode. 
<laughs> but We've got a couple more emails. We we'll promise to try and get through these quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to say Jose? I will. Jose writes, just wanted to drop by and say thank you all one more time for so many hours of delightful reviews. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, meaningful discussions and entertaining and, and entertaining disagreements. What are you talking about, Jose? What are you talking about? <laughs> huh? You got a problem? Looking forward. Wow. <laughs> Looking forward to more in 2022. Um, also, I cannot be the first to think about this, but Licorice Pizza... Uh, could be that movie you, you guys needed a few months back when you were trying to think of one that had a completely unrelated title. I have not seen Licorice Pizza yet, side note, so I that very well could be. Maybe there's nothing to do with Licorice Pizza. Back to the email. It's a delightful film, a refreshing, lighthearted Paul Thomas Anderson that still uh, is able to make you laugh, cry, and make your heartbeat pound with tense scenes. Also, I saw Flea. And oh, I'm happy I did. Uh, This was the biggest surprise for me of 2021 uh, and possibly in my top three. It's original in its visual language and incredible in its storytelling. I won't give away too much, but it has made me think slash see the irony and the fact that so many screenings get sold out too often solely because of the reach of their promotional campaigns in what feels like a cycle of watch, forget, and repeat. Mm. But meanwhile, next door, the theater for Flea is almost empty. And he goes, I think, in fact, there was a Q&A with the director just before my screening that barely sold any tickets. Yikes. Oh, my God. And this is a movie that will stick with me for quite a while. I hope yeah. it goes far and comes out in other parts of the world. Anyhow, happy holidays to you, and here's to more podcasts about movies. I agree. Happy holidays, Jose. And also, I'd love to hear another podcast about movies. <laughs> but, um, again, another topic, Shahir, that's going to come up when we talk about The Last Duel is what's sort of happening with Flea and sort of pieces of the cinematic landscape in general. Yeah, so it's interesting because uh, uh, I'll, I'll sort of take this into a personal space here, which is that I am now boosted uh, through my vaccination process, and so uh, I am now contemplating a return to the movie theaters. But that contemplation, because if you've listened to the podcast, is really stressing me out because I'm trying to think, what is the movie I want to make the sort of... Uh, proverbial leap back into the public sphere of of watching in, in, in a public space and watching a movie theater. And you keep talking about the fact that you want uh, you know us to see Spider Man No Way Home, and the only way for me to see that would be to go see it in a movie theater. Which, Truth. Uh, and my my only thing there is like there's no way for me possibly there's just no realm of possibility where the first movie I watch coming back out of like a year of not being able to go to the movies is Spider Man No Way Home. It just there's just it, it is not in the realm of possibility. So what I've found is that. Uh, Celine Siama's film, Petite Maman, is playing, it's oddly, uh, it's one of the highest reviewed films of the year. I think it has 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Um, We loved her movie, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, uh, Petite Maman is playing in one theater in New York City, uh, in Queens, in Linden Boulevard, which is a drive away. And I've been seeing reports of people going, and they're like, yeah, I'm the only person here. Um, because I, I believe Neon, who's distributing this film, just wants to get it four-walled, which is where you put a movie in a theater uh, in order to have it uh, qualify for an Oscar Oscar run, mm-hmm. uh, contention, um, which is what they're doing. And tonight is the last night that that movie will be playing, and I'm going to uh, see if I can organize my schedule to go and see Petite Maman, because wow. Spider-Man No Way Home cannot be the, the first film I see. However, uh, secondary uh, is that I was invited to a screening of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which I may take up because the person who invited me, without revealing who they are or what they do, uh, probably knows more about Spider-Man than any human being I've ever met. It's and probably Tom Holland, right? It's probably you've been Tom hanging Holland. out. You've been, ta- you've been hanging out a bit, so yeah, I figured I mean, that I mean, might be... Yeah. 
I mean, you know, I, I would go unvax the Tom Holland. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but this person is someone who I really, really enjoy their company and knows more about Spider-Man. And so, the, oh, I've met he, this person. I'm not, the I won't appeal, the spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the appeal here is not the movie itself because, again, the the trailer for Spider Man uh, Into the Spider Verse Part Two dropped, and I I had to kind of just take a look at it, um, and I was like. This is way more interesting to me than anything in the live action thing. I we, we got off the topic of Flea. Yes, Flea is meant to be excellent. Uh, it is really sad that there are screenings of Flea with nobody in it, and the director has to come in. Uh, Flea is an animated documentary, by the way. Um, it does look terrific, and everyone who I've known has seen it um, says it's wonderful. Um, so uh, the, we will get into the conversation when it comes to the last deal as well. Um, but this com- when I, I believe Jose mentioned like the uh, market watch repeat forget kind of thing, um, I, I feel that is the the you know the biggest reach, the biggest movie reach that we have right now is Spider Man, and I feel that is without having seen it, just knowing my response to the last two Spider Man movies is a movie I'm probably going to forget pretty quickly. Um, so I, and, and these sort of movies that stay with you for a long time are the ones that you have to seek out. But, you know, I like that idea that you have to seek it out. Um, so, it's interesting. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I, I also think the, the, the Marvel machine, we, we won't get into it too much, but the, Sp- the Spider-Mans in particular uh, have always felt to me, uh, maybe just from a personal connection with the character or, or whatever, um, as sort of uh, standouts in that pantheon of like sort of remembrance of like things that do stick with me, like um, the f- um, the first Tom Holland one is the one that sort of sticks with me the most. The 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 Far From Home is fun for me, but like I I, I don't often think about it. I, I I I like it, but I don't. You're right. Like it's kind of like hey, it's good. <laughs> Move. Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, and this one um, this one is. The reason I'm excited for for No Way Home is it seems like it's a take not only on the one more day or one last day or whatever the maligned, terrible Spider-Man story is, but there seems like maybe the MCU could try to fix it. But also, we're getting back to my childhood or my collegehood, I should say, because I'm that old, uh, and a lot of the returning, uh, you know... uh, Tobey Maguire era mm-hmm. villains and things are back in it, and if if one of the things I go to cinema for is spectacle, that is a spectacle that I am very interested in. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, uh, but but I also it's interesting going back to Flea and going back to some of the stuff we'll talk about um, with with just sort of like if the marketing isn't there and the hype train isn't there and you can't get people in butts and seats, etc. Especially with COVID, it's it's much much harder, of course. Hmm. Um, the uh, I miss the days of blockbusters kind of also being like critically acclaimed. Yeah. Like it doesn't happen a lot. So case in point, uh, last night I went uh, with friend of the show Patrick Willems mm-hmm. uh, to go see The Matrix on the IMAX. Oh yeah, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> like what a fucking experience. The goddamn Matrix is like we've mm-hmm. talked about it. You can go back and listen to our thing. We talked to APOC or Shahir talks to APOC because yeah. I wasn't invited. But <laughs> um, uh, the actor playing APOC was on the episode. Is what I'm saying. The the uh, that movie holds up 
next to literally anything today, and it was made in 99. Like, right. there, and there's other movies that sort of did that, these sort of prestige spectacles. Hmm. And we don't quite hit that anymore, and we'll get into sort of the reasons why we think that is, again, later. I love that all of these emails are tying into the buildup for The Last Duel. Right. Uh, so let's get to the last email real quick. Last email coming in here from Logan, uh, who wrote us in previously. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I just uh, checked this. Logan wrote a screenplay uh, over the last year, and uh, I hope that's going well, Logan. Uh, I nice. hope that screenplay is uh, doing well and help you. You're still writing. Uh, Logan writes, I, I wrote to you a couple of months ago for the first time. I'm now looking back at uh, uh, now back at it after your discussion of Last Night in Soho. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts uh, as you pointed out the same problems I had with the movie and it made me reflect a bit more on why some things didn't work for me i wrote them down below to me the main problem of the movie is the lead character eloise and her relation to the events that unfold what do we know of her we know she is deeply imbued in the 60s she wants to be a fashion designer moves to london to study also her mother who is dead and uh, that's not a spoiler by the way that's in the first few minutes of the movie uh, and eloise seems to be able to see her used to live in london but had a really hard time there that's good content to fill the first 20 minutes or so but what is her desire and uh, then comes the killing subplot uh, her new desire being able to solve a murder is completely new what the writer should have done is find a way to link both by doing so and by doing so expose the real driver between her inner desire of Eloise. Logan also writes a really beautiful um, um, point here about how Aaron Sorkin's A Few Good Men uh, works to compound both the external desire of a character and the internal desire of the character together. Um, and it's really good. And I think that what, he, what Logan raises about this particular movie is exactly right. Um, the last layer was missing for Eloise, and that's why uh, for the last half of the movie it was difficult to connect with the story. There was no emotional core and only an independent mystery subplot that completely hijacked the movie. Anyway, these are my thoughts. Apologies for the long email. Thanks for all the work you put into this podcast. Kind regards, Logan. Nope, that's uh, great, Logan. Logan said it better than I could. Yep. He's, uh, uh, he, he, he articulated, I think, what you were expressing um, uh, in terms of the – and the way I think he articulated it was the division between – um, the external subplot, uh, the external plot of the movie, and the internal, um, uh, internal journey of the character. Yeah, and I, like I think to those think, two. Yeah, yeah, those I two like things to, were missing. I like to think my job on this podcast is to rant like a lunatic, <laughs> and like somewhere in my nonsense, there's a nugget of truth, and then <laughs> smarter people than me can hear it and be like, "No, Matt, it's this, you dummy," and then <laughs> they can write in and tell us exactly what it actually means, and then uh, I feel I feel vindicated. So thank you, Logan. You. Yeah, thank Yay. you, Logan. Uh, shall we? Shall we take up arms and uh, walk 50 paces before we turn and fire upon each other? If or we do it on a horse, if I'm we, down. Or, or we could do it on a horse. Yeah. Uh, and discuss Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. What a what? weird, wild ride my perception of this film has taken. Oh, really? What was your perception of the film so, before? So all I knew going forward, and this just shows both the limitations of my daily media consumption mm-hmm. and the way that the internet works. Okay. Uh, my thing was like, oh, Ridley Scott's making this movie about the actual last duel uh, in, in, in France. By the way, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon coming back together. They're writing this movie together. But, but bud, since Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. applesauce, bitch. And then um, the then it sort of switched to like, ha, 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 look at their silly haircuts. Then it sort of switched into um, 
the uh, sort of the whole discussion, and we don't want to get too much into spoilers quite yet, but like the subject matter of this film uh, deals with a sexual assault. And then it's like, why is Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck writing about a woman's perspective? And they're not. There's a third writer. Nic- Nicole Hoffelsiner. Hoffelsiner? Is that how it is? Uh, Hoffelsiner, sorry. She's a great director, yeah. by the way. She's oh, yeah, a fantastic yeah, yeah. writer-director. You should see her movie, Friends with Money. It's really good. So, 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 like, that wasn't true, but that was sort of, like, the narrative behind it. And then it was like, they didn't put it on streaming. They want to do it in theaters, and that's everyone's prerogative. They can do it. Everyone can do what they want. But then, like, it was sort of bombing. And then... That sort of sends a message, and then the only think pieces I saw, and again, uh, I, I didn't dive too much into them, but all of the headlines were like, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel is, is you know, bombing at the box office, and like you kind of, after a while, get ticked away in your own brain being like, oh, maybe this movie isn't that good. Like, like really? there's, a way, there's a way that like, I'm saying, because I was not hunting down this movie, right? You went good Will Hunting? I, <laughs> I wasn't that good Will Hunting. Um... <laughs> All I saw were these like sort of like, you know, clickbaity nonsense titles, and that's all the information I had on it. Again, that's my fault. Please don't yeah, get me say, wrong. It sounds like you're just reading. But no, 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 no. But do, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, we can't all, all the time, read everything about every piece of media. We just can't. I don't have the time to. This was not really one that would like hit me on my radar that much. I, uh, uh, I don't know why. It just never sort of crossed my stuff so therefore i only knew very tertiary things about it that's mm. that's that's just it and i think the combination of that being like if if you are not say uh, a ridley scott stan or or uh you hunt down his movies in this day and age and again we can get into the whole you know who, wow steven spielberg really sure can make a movie this who's this guy um it's sort of it's a perfect storm of limited people going to the theaters Audiences that are going to theaters, a.k.a. young people's uh, perceptions and wants have changed. And uh, the marketing campaign behind this kind of got caught up rather than sort of pushing the film itself and what it really was. It felt like it was like either fun facts or or made up controversy. And uh, and again, this is just from a perspective of what I think the common person of this film would be based on the very limited marketing of like, oh yeah, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are making a movie about the French duel. Oh, what's going on? Weird. Oh, it's not doing too well. Okay. Like, that's that's what a lot of people will see. So it got me but thinking what, a lot about- what is about, your solution to that? I don't what, know yet. That's what we'll, we'll, we'll sort of get into that. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, because th- that's, that's kind of just the organic conversation around this movie. It's not like it's a directed conversation, right? Right. But so the, the, I think, and you've, this is more supporting you, I think, in, in a lot of things you've said in the past with the, with the, let's just use Marvel or Disney, right? Like, there's so much and it's cultivated and so much money can be thrown into it. And the, the, the hype train is so real that, we don't get the chance to have these sort of clickbaity nonsense spectacle things about the validity of a film or not. We're just punched in the face like, this is the next big thing. Go see the next big thing. And you're like, ah, I am a simple human. I can go see the next big thing. Whether or not that next big thing is good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, despite the fact that, uh, you know, I hope I'm not putting too much of my opinion up front on this, although we're we're about a half hour in, so sure. Um <laughs> I think this is a incredibly well-made movie that I enjoyed far more than I thought I would. Um, that uh, I was not on board really with. Uh, I mean, film craft, 100%. It's very well-made. I just wasn't like, I was like, eh, whatever. 
until the moment in the, I guess, after the first third when we get to chapter two. Hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, we're doing this. We're doing perspective shifts. Oh, hmm. shit. And then I was locked in. Um hmm. And we'll get to more of that as we sort of go. Shahir, what did you, what did you think? Uh, what what was your journey to the last duel, and then first impressions of last duel? I mean, I guess we we it's funny because we live a block from each other, but we just have very different um, media consumption media consumption habits. Uh, because uh, for me, uh, what I knew about this film is and 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 to your point about the the um, Marvel comparison or the superhero comparison, as I I think it is amazing. Uh, just to note, at least, uh, that the reunion of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon writing a screenplay together was much less of an event than, Bat- than, than Ben Affleck playing Batman. You know, like, the, the, these two guys who kind of broke out into the film scene and won an Oscar for their movie Good Will Hunting, which is a beloved film by many, their follow-up film, which comes nearly 20 years later, like, just barely makes a whimper, but Ben Affleck playing Batman is kind of, like, the is a much bigger story. But that's that what of, I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's all about perception of, like, who the actual, not even who the movie-going audience is, but who's the movie-going audience that's running their mouth on Twitter. Yeah. Like, uh, that's kind of the thing. It's yeah. weird. It's weird, but it's also like, like you say, it is directed. Please note that as well that the last duel is distributed by Walt Disney, um, so it is actually kind of within the pantheon of Disney movies. And there's a great—I uh, can't remember who wrote it—the great article about uh, the way in which Disney will position certain films against each other, Ooh, um, like uh, duels, yeah, like little duels. Uh, but but in, instead of two equally opposing forces, imagine one has all the money and resources in the other in the world, and the other is provided just simply uh, a, uh, some pocket change to kind of go and do their thing and hope for the best. Um, at any rate, uh, and then I know, of course, Ridley Scott was doing a twofer. We've talked about Ridley Scott on this podcast before. Uh, I, I look when Ridley Scott has hit, he has definitely hit. I have never found that the consistency of his work has been one that has compelled me to be excited for more to seeing more of his work. Um, I think the movies that we've done on this are Prometheus and uh, and Alien Covenant, um, which yeah. you know I I think are films that oh did we do Prometheus Prometheus on this episode I think we did right on the, uh, on the, yeah. on the show yeah. yes I believe we did. Um, but you know again Alien is a masterpiece and Blade Runner is a masterpiece and I really like The Martian. Um, so you know uh, his work uh, his work is a mixed bag for me, but um, you know. Then there's I I just have this psychological barrier and I feel like I'm I feel like in all the conversation around this film I'm the only person who like feels like this is just such a big stumbling and roadblock for me it is not it, it is historical stumbling and roadblock so it's not like a new phenomenon or anything like that or that I'm just pointing out for the first time it should be noted Ridley Scott's first film The Duelist about a duel uh-huh. a, a pair of dueling uh, enemies it is a French film you know starring Javi Keitel and in English but but the language barrier for me the reverse language barrier for me is so difficult when you open a film that says France 1350 whatever and the first voice you hear is ladies and gentlemen gather around i'm gonna be remotely from (laughs) europe now mate and you're you're just like and and for me that is just such a huge like that that to me is such a huge fence to jump over in order to get on board with this movie and it's it, it it is the way movies have done you know this sort of thing for a long time and and ridley scott in particular 
has had this sort of weird relationship between casting and authenticity because his films are extremely detail focused in terms you know particularly his period films uh and i believe uh it was exodus of gods and men a movie he did about oh, yes. no was it about noah i can't even remember um where i think he cast uh um christian bale and um um oh the writer director of the gift um why am i oh out? yeah <laughs> as uh as moses or something like that and and um uh, I, I, and then when asked about why that casting was so controversial, he sort of replied with, Joel well, I can't, I, yeah, why can't I remember Joel Edgerton's name? He's like, I think he's, that's he's, a bigger, we should do a whole podcast on why we can't remember Joel Edgerton's yeah, name. Yeah, well, why I can't remember names at the drop of a hat, even though I try to. Uh, Joel Edgerton is amazing, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, casting Joel Edgerton as an e- Egyptian was sort of like a pretty interesting step. And um, when asked about this, Ridley Scott replied with, well, I can't cast, you know, I can't have Muhammad so-and-so in a big international film and it was a sort of a flippant comment and it was rightly picked on and everyone kind of you know got on him about it there's a part of me that understands what he's trying to articulate there which is that his movies despite all the effort to um uh be true to authentic to period details are movies that are designed for american audiences and designed for uh, a large uh, a large wide reach you know this is a, and the last duel is no exception this movie has uh, i think in excess of a hundred million dollar budget um or a, uh it has a hundred million dollar budget so these are big you know, these are movies that are seeking large return on investments. Uh, and unfortunately, the world the way it is means that uh, a French historical film spoken in French is just not going to have as much reach uh, as, as a, in my mind, a mind-numbingly uh, sort of contradictory idea of having American actors do sort of a, a, a European affectation while pertaining to be in France in a specific period in history. It, I, I don't know why I am... I feel like I'm the only person that says this, and I'm the only person that feels like... I, that when you're talking about this film, that should be front and center. Like, it's just such a weird barrier to jump over. I just and I cannot jump over it. I do... Like... So accents are strange. Right. Because you could also, let's say... That this movie, let's say Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and all the folks involved, and especially the fr- the people that are supposed to be French people back in the the 14th century, uh, let's say they have French accents. They're speaking in English, but they have French accents, which would also be weird. Which would also be weird. Yeah, I get like, that. Like, like, and and Ridley Scott's comment about like, well, I can't cast blah 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 blah. Like, he's 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 correct. Based on the the playing field of Hollywood being not fair whatsoever, and the way that everything is marked, like he, it's not it's not morally correct, and the, yeah. and and it should not be that way. And hopefully, we can work toward making it that it is not that way. Yeah. But like he just said something quick, which he probably shouldn't. He should have probably went into more nuance <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, like, but yeah, but, but the language thing. Is weird, right? Is it? Did, oh, it's that, super weird. Did, did it's it super affect weird. you? Like, like for the first minutes of the film, I'm just sitting there going, "You know what it is? Are we so, doing this?" Again? I, I, this is my thing with these types of with these types yeah. of things. If you can nail down a consistent decision for mm. your for your verbiage, 
in the first five to ten minutes of the movie, I'll have a little bit of a like, huh, why aren't they speaking French or whatever? Mm. Oh, you know what? Whatever. And I'll, I'll roll through. What this movie does, <laughs> and many movies before, this is not a specifically mm. the last dual problem, yeah. is the accents are all over the fucking place. Yeah. Like, they're... There's no consistent dialect or, or tonality to the voices in these people that are supposed to be from the same region. Was so, the mother speaking – was, was um, uh, Courage's mother, was she speaking in an American accent? I don't know. Like, I I, don't... She didn't speak often, but like when she did, I was like – oh, no, she's actually English. But I was like I, – I felt like it was an American accent and I couldn't Hands quite up. tell. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. My point is it was not the fact that they chose – to do uh, one specific incorrect language or accent for the piece. I will get over that, whether that's correct or not on my end. My brain will j- do the gymnastics and I'll move forward. It's kind of like audio quality in general, really, for me. Yeah. If the audio quality, even if it's bad, if it's consistent, <laughs> I will just sort of jump on board and be like, this is what it is. But right. the fact that the accents in this movie are so all over the place. It did. Every time we got serious and something sort of moved and a different character would speak, I would be like, but aren't you guys like supposed to be like cousins in the same like lot of land? Like I don't And and, and as much as I love Matt Damon, it was just like every time every now and again it would, you could hear the slip and it would yeah. be like uh, my good sir, we are getting ready for combat. And you're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? Applesauce, what is, bitch. What is happening? Uh, um and, I will say this. Can I can I talk about Damon real quick? Just uh, unless, and sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to change unless you're good on this. We are going to go all over the map on this, but let, uh, yeah. let's let's do it. So I got to. Are say, you fucking Matt Damon? <laughs> no, no, I, you know, it, it, to be so lucky. Um, for all of my garbage, I'm given the accents in this movie, and Matt Damon definitely is one of them. I got to say, this movie did do what I didn't think it could do, and that is have me get lost enough in the characters where I'm not just seeing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Adam Driver. Like, right. uh, Adam Driver, you kind of always know he can do that. Like, mm. I don't know. I feel like even though Adam Driver is so distinct and recognizable, I feel like I never really feel like he's doing the same person in movie. You know some actors, you sort of feel like yeah. that, right? <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Um, but here, uh, with Matt Damon's uh, Carouge and uh, uh, um, Ben Affleck's uh, Pierre, again, after minute 10 or so or whatever, when I saw them on screen, I was like just not thinking about Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And I have to say, that is a credit to everyone on this film. That is a credit to them. That is a credit to Ridley Scott. These people, at least for you and my generation, Shahir, are well-known. Like hyper, hyper, hyper well-known. The, what roles they take makes the makes the you know the news um and the and the wires and everything and here i was like uh jean de carouge uh being i like i bought in completely like the mullet didn't shake me too much at all after a while <laughs> the facial scar like everything i was like oh yeah this is this fucking war torn brute of a dude like i don't know i i i was shocked how I didn't metagame this movie. Right. With all of the power sort of in it and around it and even all of the all of the the headline bullshit hype that I'd been experienced to, I was expecting to like be constantly thrown out and I wasn't. Again, the only thing that really did she hear was the accents, but I feel like the performance and the and the and the 
I, the overall quality of the movie kind of always locked me back in. I, I do have a solution, which is that if you do rent this film, you can actually just switch. And this is not something I like. I don't advocate. Uh, I always advocate for subs, not dubs. But mm. in a case like this, I advocate for dubs, which is like watch the like to me. There's to get over that hump. I actually just rewatched the pieces of the movie in uh, in the French dub and with subtitles on. And I was like, okay, that just helps me get through this because for me, that is such a that is such a a barrier to get through. Um, but, uh, you know, like we should also talk about the fact that this is really supposed to be Jodie Cummer's film and it sort yeah. of is, but we're by talking act, about mid- by act three it is. Yeah. But that's a, you know, a long way to go. Uh, I knew about the Rashomon style structure of this film as well, uh, going into it. So I kind of knew because I had seen them talking about it and it was oh. like Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. So, this is interesting. Yeah. The very thing that I feel like is hurting it at the box office, or one of them, right? That's sort of one of the elements of hurting it at the box office actually, I think, made my experience better once I got into it. Because the Wait, second- what is the thing? what is the thing that's hurting it at the box office? I, 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 um, th- sorry, the um, people not knowing much about it other than the headlines, mm-hmm. right? My myself, I didn't get the the Rashomon uh, the sort of tie or the structural stuff, right? Yeah. But the fact that I didn't know that until Act Two, yeah, I had a in that moment, I had a real, oh shit, we're doing this moment, and it got me excited. It kicked me back in. It's funny, even while I was watching Chapter One, I actually was thinking a little bit. I was like, they're skipping around a lot. Like they're they're like here's a here they'll do like here's a date like thirteen eighty or whatever and then they'll skip like nine years but not give us the date and I'm like what's going this feels weird like why and then the second we went back and it was oh now it's from uh, Legris's perspective oh shit and then when we went back and it's Marguerite's perspective I was just like I don't know not knowing that again don't watch trailers you say that all the time too I it. I, you know that moment in a movie where you're sitting and you're watching, and you're yeah. sort of like, hmm, yep, this is good, okay, cool, 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 and then something happens, and your posture shifts. Yeah. Like, where you're just like, oh, oh, shit, and I settled back into my couch, and I just like, I had this moment when, when chapter two hit, and the first bits of it hit, the only way you can get this at home right now is to buy it on demand, uh, yeah. like you can't even rent it, you have to own it. Yeah. And I was a little bit, whenever that happens, it's a weird mental gymnastic. I'm like, oh, it's 1999 to rent or like to buy. And I, even when I'm like buying it, I'm like, I don't want to own this movie. I don't know if I'll like it. And it's, it's yeah. all mental. It doesn't matter. But at that moment, I was like, I'm glad I bought this movie. <laughs> like I was just, I had that and I just settled in and it was just a wash for the rest of the time. So yeah. what I, my point being, with the obfuscation of how this movie is being talked about or the limited amount that it actually is being talked about helped me, I think, have a really powerful and complete moment that the film probably wants the viewer to have uh, in the, at, at the actual moment of viewing. So it was, it was nice. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I will say so I knew about the Rashomon thing, but I you know I try, again try to avoid spoilers about the film. I kind of knew that it was about uh, sexual assault, uh, so I you know I, I I had a sort of loose understanding. I didn't watch a trailer, obviously. Um, I, I think get it, once I sort of allowed myself to get over the hump of the language thing, I kind of settled in for it. Um, I I think it's a you know a handsomely made period piece uh, about a particular topic that's told in an interesting way. 
I think the thing with the Rashomon style structure is that where it worked in Rashomon uh, was that the perspectives offered such a different take on each other's stories that um, that the structure kind of builds upon itself, and it's a sort of a, a you know a, a sort of act of the, what you're watching is the storytelling in order to kind of keep it together. And in fact, Rashomon becomes about storytelling. Uh, another great movie that does this is JFK's uh, Oliver Stone's mm-hmm. JFK, which is which has sort of like not as rigidly a Rashomon structure, but is like looking at an event from different points of view until a sort of an idea of truth becomes apparent. Um, in in this film, I think the the issue I have is that the the stories aren't that far different. That's what I love about it. And I mean, there are there are moments that are like really telling, which I really like, which is particularly like around courage, around the first battle, for example, where uh, uh, Jacques Le Courage, you know, runs in because he, um, you know, says for king and country and everyone and, and he feels like he is the leader because he is taking a stand. But in when you when you see it from the Greece point of view, what you're seeing is that if I don't step in this person is going to die and I need to, ha- you know, and we need to, even this person has made a foolish mistake. We need to follow him. You're to, always to, the hero in your own story. Like, yeah, you're the, always it, the hero in your own story. Uh, um, side note, the Hundred Years War was a fucked up time and uh, we did a great series on it. Uh, actually, voiced by uh, the uh, History of England podcast, uh, David Crowther, who's a phenomenal uh, uh, speaker and writer. And uh, if you want to check out more about sort of like all the moments that led up to the, because this movie takes place at the very end of the Hundred Years War, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was just funny to have this, like, it sort of picks up right near the end of where our series left off, or, or kind of Ep3. So check that out if you're interested in more. I, I also think you could do a chron- chrono- chronological thing of Ridley Scott's movies and find, like, an entire history of medieval Europe uh, through all of his movies. Like, uh, the... the, the uh, the Crusades happened right after this, which uh, Matt Damon's uh, yep. character uh, goes off into, and of course you could then go and watch the Last King- um, um, Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, you know, like this is an interesting thing that you could do there with uh, Ridley Scott's career. Um, I-, I think that the 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 sense it, the the notion to have each writer tell a different part of the story, I think, is a really is a really good one. I think the idea that um, that you're using a Rashomon structure to evaluate both the uh, both the underlying truth of situations versus the um, the way in which we tell stories about certain situations is a really good idea. Um, there's a part of me that feels like um, the framing of Marguerite's story as the truth kind of meant felt like it should have been. I, I don't, hmm, I'm trying to articulate it into, I'm trying to articulate how, while I think on paper, this is a good idea for a movie, as I watch it, I feel like it's not quite the sum, the greater than the sum of its parts. Like, I think all the parts are interesting, but they're not leading me to a greater revelation than the, the, each of the individual parts. Like, I think the idea that, um, that like Marguerite's story has the most interesting um, interesting ideas in it about the fact that that she lives in a world where she is entirely powerless and the assaults on her are really framed um, 
without any autonomy on her side. Like they're framed as an attack on on uh, Courage's property. Yeah. And and it's a it's a battle of the wills between uh, Legree and Courage. And I, and I think that that in of itself is the most interesting idea. And I kind of wish that the idea of that was framed more than the battles and the duel itself. Like in a way, the duel is not that interesting to no, me. No, but and the duel is actually the least interesting part of the story. Well, first and foremost, yes. Second, I think the combat is the best that Ridley Scott has done since Gladiator. Right, um, but I don't. But hold on. But let me. Let me. But here's matter. the thing. Yeah. Uh, no. Whoa. It a hundred percent matters. This thing really? does two. Yeah. This thing does two things very well. First and foremost, the um, this is an ad- adaptation of Eric Yeager's book, yeah. The Last Duel, which goes over this stuff. And I guess Ben Affleck and Matt Damon each wrote the different characters based off that book. Yeah. And then uh, what? And then how it goes is um, Nicole came in and wrote uh, uh, Marguerite's sort of side of it, which is not, from my understanding, in the book. Yeah. So, in case in point. This is an example, I feel like, of elevating and changing material in an, in an important way. Yeah. Um, because it's calling out something about all of these movies. How many movies or stories or tales have we heard about uh, a woman being wronged and the heroic knight coming in or whatever, or the woman Chivalry. stuck with yeah. the dragon, damsel in distress, and da 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 and it's all the same fucking period, and it's always romanticized and like, chivalry, ha-ha, right? Yeah. I mean, this movie just rips the idea of chivalry overall just kind of it takes it down a peg if not throws it in tatters on the floor which i kind of really like like the idea of these two men each having their own idea of why they're wronged or what they're doing or yada 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 like they themselves live by these fucking codes and we always hear about those codes and like oh my honor's restored or you've besmirched this or that and the other thing and then in the third act you get marguerite's story where Weirdly, obviously, yes. Uh, Legree is the uh, 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 the aggressor and the rapist and the and the 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 instigator of this fucking terror that happens. But then on the same side, the man who's supposed to chivalrously, due to the code, protect her, does so, but not for her. In a very like, oh, you're my property. This is my honor. I've been I've been wronged. Says the man, mm-hmm. and in that process. What got the, you're right. The fight, the last duel would not have mattered to me if Marguerite's fate was mm. not so intricately tied to it in a very physical and visceral way. If Carouge lost that duel or loses that duel, she gets burned at the fucking stake for lying. Yeah. So, so I don't give a sh- like. You're right. The characters themselves have both sort of wronged in different ways. Uh, the the men. But the reason why that fight has has weight and gravitas and point, and I was I was on the edge of my seat for it, despite the fact it was shot very well, was that Marguerite's fate is resting <laughs> insanely unfairly on these two men trying to kill each other. And yeah. and now we'll get into full, full, full spoilers when we see at the very end when Carouge is victorious, and again, that's historically accurate. He's paraded through the streets as a hero, but the woman who has actually been wronged is like an ornament. Mm, And it's so fucked up, even though it's, it's obviously we all know that's fucked up. 
But this is the first film in a long time that I can think of that takes this idea of like basically what the concept of chivalry is or what it actually probably is in real life, not the actual broad concept of it. And shows the sort of naked truth about it where it's not about a lot of times the people that these these men are trying to help. It's about the dude looking good. Yeah, it's and, about it's about I mean, and I think the courage story is interesting because it's it's really uh, everything is about him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? in, in, in all three versions. Yeah. And that's what so that's why the Rashomon uh, style, I think, while different here, works really well for me, because in everyone's version. We're not seeing the like pure like I'm the best like we're even even the audience doesn't see that like you mm. see the flaws of Carouge in Carouge's story like you see them like it's all and, and the subtlety between the perspectives of these men sometimes it's real blatant like in that first fight. Yeah. When in one version in Karuja's story, Adam Driver is like, thank you for saving my life. And he is like, no problem, Squire. Like there's like that big dumb moment. And then yeah. obviously in Legris's Matt Damon's is like a hothead who runs. And he's like, we must save him now. So they both think they've saved each other's lives. Yeah. But then in, in, in middling parts, even through the trial or even the uh, heinous act itself, how those things are perceived, where shoes drop, like mm-hmm. is it doesn't change the the horridness or who is actually wrong, but it changes ever so slightly. You can see the perception of the wrongdoer in that moment and Mm. you never agree with them, but the slight change, it rides a really nice knife edge for me. And so all of that put together and the fate unfairly of Marguerite on this fight, like that's what mattered to me. I didn't give a shit who lived or who died because I had yeah. problems with both men. Granted, the, the rapist did far worse, but still, it's the I, like I don't care about those two guys. I care about Marguerite, and the way the story built to getting me to that point was unexpected and welcome. And I, th- I, I, I really it, appreciated that. Yeah, I think like 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 I said, I think on paper this is a good idea for a movie, and I think it like functions in a way. I think I just found that by the conclusion. I was not, I, I, by the time it became like this battle scene and, and the sort of battle scene was really about the mechanics of the battle. And I agree that, that Marguerite is on the stage and it is really, you know, it's tied to her, her fate is tied to this, um, is a good, is a good way to kind of bring her into this. Um, but you know, like we had seen a number of battles before that. We even see the Scotland battle. We see, you know, like, I, I just felt like there was a sort of sense of this that, that felt like maybe 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 I'm trying to articulate here is that the revelations were not here here's what it is when i I wondered as I was watching this at what period at a film that is historically based when you when we watch it from our perspective in two thousand twenty one and and from years from now, at what period does it transform from history to anthropology? And, and, you know, like, so when I, when I watch, uh, for example, when we watch 2001 A Space Odyssey and we watch The Dawn of Man, we sort of watch that, I think, in an anthropological sense of, like, this is the way societies were formed. And sure. then when we watch a film that was, like, uh, set in the 80s or, you know, something like, something that's retelling part of World War II or something, we're sort of looking at it from a, like, this is history in terms of this is something that ha- happened relatively and we can kind of still identify ourselves within that, within those groups. And as I watch this, there's a part of me that watches this as anthropological as opposed to 
this is history, and even though it is historically based. I mean, and, does, it, does it matter, though? Well, what it does for me is that I found that the revelations of the way in which Marguerite is treated, not to be obvious, but to also be... Hmm. I, I guess I'm sort of sensing that the film think believes it's a revelation to to know that women were treated as property so here's the interesting part i don't think the film thinks that this is a novel idea yeah i think this is the first hundred million dollar film that's explored this as deeply in this time period that i've seen like the it, you know it's what? not I'm treating gonna, this yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna flip a switch on what i've just said which is which is when you suddenly mentioned the budget and ridley scott and and the sense of the scale of, of, of what we're expo- yeah. dealing with here, the notion that a film this large um, tackles that topic with vigor is great. I, and, I, I, I will and flip a, the switch on that. A yeah, little bit. yeah, I think it's I, I never I never took the idea of like, oh, wow, I never knew women were treated like shit in the 14th century. Of course, like that's that's historic. There's so much history on that. Yeah. Um, they also but, didn't speak French in France, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, my point being, the way that we are being presented this information in this medium now felt novel. Not that the information itself is novel. The information yeah. itself is old as time. But also, in the world of $100 million uh, dueling knights and jousts and all that shit, you know, yeah. types of media, we don't get this perspective often. And that's why I think when it finally turned... On, on Act 3, I was just like, yup, okay, let's fucking do... Th-. And and this is what I loved about it. I loved that Marguerite's was just called The Truth. Mm-hmm. Because... It does... Like... With any piece of historical media... I mean, we deal with this on Extra History all the time. You... you, you, you you're dealing with the best case scenarios of what you're sort of researching and, and how what what resources you have and you try to put together the best story and be as fair as you can. At least good historians like our writer Robert Rath do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also when you've when you've researched something so long, you kind of get overall themes that might not have been. Uh, you know, d- specifically written down, but you can parse, or actually, it's actually sometimes even have they done with like Shakespeare's work. You can put them into algorithms, and like it can figure out like when something was written, or like who actually wrote this piece. Like, there's things you can figure out that are sort of universal truths that that you know is very probable that it happened certain ways. Mm-hmm. And while look, I don't know if how they described Marguerite's story was exactly what happened in the 14th century, because we can never know that. But based on all the historic uh, evidence of how women in that class in that time were treated, mm-hmm. that to me still feels like the most truthful way of what could have possibly happened to that woman in this situation based on all of the laws and and being all the preview of how uh, men treated women in that time. So when they did that, I really, I really appreciated it because it's a bold statement to say, like, ah, the truth, like in a movie that's supposed to be based on historical things. Yeah. And to me, whether or not it's entirely true doesn't really matter. But the fact that the movie's willing to be like, nope, this is how women are treated, motherfucker, like, boom. And you're like, yep. You're like, you, you can't. You could you could argue specifics about this specific tale, though you have no proof one way or the other, but you can definitely say that this is something that was a 
was the 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 sign of the times in in those moments and uh, uh, fucked up things that happened to women that often again is not talked about in this medium. So I this movie did something very interesting for me. It built my expectation and appreciation of what it was trying to do piecemeal as the film itself went on. And I don't know. This will be okay. This will be. I don't know how many films actually have done that a lot lately. Maybe this will be the way to frame this. And I'm I'm posing this as a question that I'm thinking about as I as I'm thinking about it. So write us so, in only movie podcast <laughs> at gmail.com if you have the answer for Shahir's next question. For a film that purports to re that that should allow us to reevaluate the way we see not only history but also evaluate the way we live life today. Sure. And this is an arbitrary sort of framework to pose this on, but I, and I, I'm not I'm not posing this as a aha gotcha moment or a, <laughs> or, a, or a, this is the you know like this metric defines how we read the film. I'm posing it as a sort of rhetorical device to think of, to to evaluate how to critically respond to this film or how to engage with this film, not mm-hmm. to not to critique it or not. Do you think the last duel would pass the Bechdel test? Hmm. Well, no. Um, well, no, no, because the, the test itself is based on two women having a conversation that has nothing to do with a man. Mm. Right? That's kind of what it, it's been about. And, and, and like, again, I'm not using that as a framework to, to, to sort of... I don't think that's uh, a gotcha. I think that's a sign of the actual weirdly keeping... Again, sort of going back to why I think the movies and its truthfulness and how it says the truth is sort of played. Women back then, lives, literal fucking lives. And, and, you know, this isn't even something changed in many parts of the world. This is still sort of the same thing. But like depended on the whims of hopefully decent men. Yeah. And, yeah, you're and, right. and so like it does not pass the Bechdel test at all. Mm. However... If we're trying to show how fucked up that it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, like, like I almost feel like that's kind of the point yeah, in this. That, it, it could very well be, and and I think you know, again, I'm not using the Bechdel test. No, I don't think you a, are. I think that's a, a really as, interesting question. I'd love because, to hear other people's thoughts on that because I think the thing that I felt like I was not getting a sense of was. No, and this is not entirely true either, because I think there is a sense of this, but I, I, I guess it's the weighting and the way in which this is all put together that makes me sort of question that. And it has to do with like the sort of emphasis on battles and the emphasis on Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and, and you know, like that, that sort of side of it uh, versus the interest I have in Marguerite's story as a woman who is essentially traded around as property her entire life, even by her father, or especially by her father, um, you know, with the dowry as well. And then making, uh, you know, making a stand for herself to reveal the truth and and not have this happen, you know, like saying, I I will not allow this to happen. Mm -hmm. And then the conversation that, you know, she has with uh, Courage's mother, who says this has happened to me, but, you know, like, there are more important things in the world and I just, you know, bit my bit my tongue and, and moved on with it. And and I think uh Marguerite says the most important I think to me felt like the most important line in the film. She says, You have sacrificed a lot you know, she 
Courage's mother says, uh, you know, what? why did you... Oh, Margaret, sorry. Margaret <laughs> says to Courage, why did you do that? She says, because I lived. You know, I therefore lived and went on had a life. And Margaret says to me the most important line in the film, which is that you have sacrificed a lot in order to live your life. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is the that is the revelation or that is the sort of interesting part of the film, this idea that in order to exist a woman must sacrifice so much more mm-hmm. than 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 these men do because again career, and I think the interesting interplay here that I thought was um fascinating was the idea that Courage uh, is this person who lives by a code and he believes that code imbues him with a godly sense of honor and 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 righteousness for the things he is owed right like mm-hmm. he believes because he lives by the code because he serves the king because he does he you know does the right thing he will always be honored with property with land you know like good things will come to him by living yeah. by that code and the thing that pisses him off about legree is that he is a man who doesn't live by that code but lives by lives through uh, favor you no, know, he's like BFFs he, with Pierre. Yeah, he's BFFs with Pierre, and he is not an honorable man. He is a, you know, he is a adulterous man, um, and a rapist, a rapist who gets things through favor instead of honor. And I think this like pisses off uh, courage to no end. And I love this. Uh, there's a line that um, again, courage's mother, I think, is the is the person who kind of navigates the story in really interesting ways, where she says, um, "Your father." may not have been, the, uh, to the effect of your father may not have known the most, but he did know how the world worked. And that's this thing that Courage is kind of like up against, which is that he doesn't really know how the world works. And Marguerite kind of does know how the world works and fights back against it in sort of an, in, in a unique way by actually taking a stand for herself. Yeah. Whereas Courage, when he like takes a stand for his dowry, it's because of the sort of personal slight that he has against mm-hmm. Legree. And, and I think all of that, that soup is really interesting. Yes, it, it's no, a I really agree. interesting thing. I think I felt like I was interested in the. I would be interested in the framing of this from uh, entirely from Marguerite's point of view, and and I think that that would have kind of. I'm also just getting over the hump of the French language thing, and sure. then like getting over the hump of like, I feel like this is really a story. Is really a, a woman's story of her time and place. The, the- and, yeah. And I you know like I, not again not to say not to say at all that this is a bad movie. This is a very very good movie. And and I did enjoy it. I was just kind of like I'm sort of interested in the philosophy of the movie. If I I, I while I would have liked to see a, a full-blown Marguerite story as well, I think a lot of times what good media can do is uh sadly this is I I would call this good media with bad marketing. Um what good media can do is inject important truths into society in surprising ways and the best way you can get anyone to 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 start thinking differently to modify uh an opinion or uh, a belief even or an idea is to couch it in familiarity and slowly but surely turn on the drip feed of what you're trying to say and i think this movie what it is, you know, if it's trying to say anything, and let's even just say that it's it's trying to shine a light on, like, again, as I've sort of said, like, the hypocrisy of chivalry and the treatment of women in, in this time and, and throughout the ages, etc. You're going to get a lot more people to watch it and start sort of, <laughs> s- s- like, like... Apparently ba- not. 
No, but no, no. So, but, uh, yeah, t- touche in this in this particular case. Yeah, apparently not at all. <laughs> but like, um, it's always you know it's flies with honey and all that jazz is, is kind of what it is. You you can you might be you're going to be able to convince more people uh, often. Uh, by couching it in things they're familiar with, and then being like, "Oh, but did you know?" Da 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 da. You can, you know. And this movie does that in an interesting, in, again, the sort of three chapter different perspectives way. Um, I, 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 I again, I think that's a. I think the three chapter. I'm not saying that the three chapters from different perspective is a bad I, idea. No, no, I'm just saying I, I like. I, it. I, I think I think it's a good idea. I, we, I yeah. Can we? Can we? I want to position at the end of this podcast to talk about why we think this movie bombed because I think we both believe this is a well-made movie whatever problems we have with it uh or or praises we want to leap leap on it it's not doing well folks um and and all signs of old school movie rules would point to it should be doing well so what shahir what do you think is why why should it be doing well big names uh period piece uh bunch of battles <laughs> Seriously, but, I mean, but but battles without superheroes, battles without spandex, battles without marketing tie-in, without toy sales, without. Um... I mean, but this is the thing, and this is why I think it's. I mean, I have my ideas, which all tie into that. But I was asking you the question, like, do you like what do you think? Why do you I, think I, this movie's not doing well? You know, it actually comes back to Corrigan Legree, which is that I think what you've just said is that because of because the movie is good, it should be doing well, right? No, I don't even. It's funny. I don't even think whether or not this movie was good or not. I still think classic older school, maybe even pre-pandemic times would say like, oh, or maybe maybe I'm thinking too old. Maybe I'm thinking like ten years ago, based on name recognition alone, this would done. You know what I mean? Like pre-Marvel or whatever. I I think that that is just not the reality of the world we live in. No, I don't think so either. That's what I'm asking. I'm 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 trying to kick the conversation to you so you can say these things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and no, and, I, and that's what I'm saying is that I think the the it's it's kind of actually what the the battle between courage and Legree is in this film, which is that the reason a film like this doesn't do there there is no like one solidified reason wherever there is a there is a uh, a tornado of circumstances that leads to why a film does good and why a film does poorly, and you know um, I think the only thing that we have um, uh, to sort of counteract that is the sort of longevity of history tends to tends to anchor to arc towards films that regardless of whether they were financially successful or not endure the test of time mm-hmm. right like that like that that is kind of all we can sort of say about you know why what happens to a film like this over time uh and there's you know and that can be there are ebbs and flows to that as well it can be a film can do poorly and then not be talked about and then rediscovered at some point later on in life um you know like we talked about um uh, uh William Friedkin's uh, film Sorcerer yeah um so I, I think in this particular case, I think there's a there's a sort of you know a tornado of circumstances that lead to why the film is doing poorly, which is that I also think that there is just not an appetite for this type of film. And I, while I think the battle battle scenes were, you know, just ineffective for me, but I agree with your point that it's sort of the same point that Ridley Scott was making about why he didn't cast uh, a non recognizable face. In uh, in God's Vision, which is a move I completely a hundred percent with all of my fiber disagree with. Um, I it's sort of the same conversation that's happening around like what to, uh, to me the essence of it is 
the conversation about what is it we think people want mm-hmm. versus what do we think people should have. Or even to frame it another way, what is going to be better even despite it not being the thing that we think people want. And and what I mean by that is this is a poor, poor example uh, because of the person involved in it. Uh, but Mel Gibson's um, Passion of the Christ is a film. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, is a film that is entirely in Aramaic. Uh, a de- not only like a language that is uh, uh, not spoken, it, it, not only a, la- a foreign language, but also a dead language. Um, and and Gibson made the choice, and even his uh, his follow up film Apocalypto, you know, makes the choice that I'm making a film in these countries, and therefore I will make the a film in those languages, and it they proved to be hugely successful and it could go, it could have gone entirely the other way. And I think in here, what's required is, is essentially Marguerite's approach, which is a force of nature to say, no matter what is, what we think people want versus what, you know, like the market says people want, we should do what is right in our hearts. And I think, I think there's a, like if this film had come out, and maybe had been made for $50 million or $40 million or $20 million or whatever and had no movie stars in it and was in France, set in French with this Rashomon-style story about a woman's journey through the sort of uh, removing her sense from the sense of being property into being an autonomous human being. I think that is a film that would endure the test of time and, and sort of bubble up to the top. It may not be successful either. But you know, this is what this is the film we got, and this is what it was made, and I do think it's a very good film. But you're right, it bombed, and nobody went to see it, and we're in a circumstance where people weren't going to movies anyway. But simultaneously, you know, No Time to Die came out, and you know, did well at the box office as well. So, so it's this, a milkshake of circumstances that kind of like gets us to this point. There's and a couple I'm, interesting things. Yeah, um, you're right. It's it, there's a ton of different things. I think yeah. the majority, though, kind of goes back to your original thing about Steven Spielberg. Someone being like, "Oh yeah, this guy still got it on Twitter," yeah. and that is this is a movie for I would say thirty five and up. Like <laughs> it, it, it really it ain't that four quadrants. Yeah, <laughs> it's not four quadrant whatsoever, yeah. uh, and it's and it's marketed and positioned despite the fact I think it has <clears throat> a lot of good medicine with the sugar. Uh, as a sort of male demo, thirty-five and up, mm. um, and honestly, I, I, the, I forget the statistics. You might know these, uh, and you can tell me if I'm off base. But like, far more young people are still going to the movies as opposed to thirty-five and up um, at, at at these times. I forget what the actual numbers are, but like, that's just kind of what it is. And the movies have. Uh, uh, going to the movies has become more and more again even before the pandemic with Marvel and just sort of the way that like the corporatization of the blockbuster etc we've talked about that ad nauseum we're not going to do it again right now but um, Tishahir's points many many times has changed the way honestly for the the worse for movies themselves uh, has changed the way that we interact with the medium and how what becomes popular what gets screens what gets ad budget what gets all those things and I think this movie, came, The Last Duel, just was like made at the wrong time and not and, – and sort of weirdly because of that left on the vine to die. Um, 
I, I mean, did you see a lot of advertisements for this movie? Like, did Oddly, you... I did, and I, I think it's we we. The other thing is we've got a fractured sense of what, you know, like our individualized all, advertising. All media is different. With the, I mean, heck, the algorithm knows exactly what I want to see versus what you want to see. And exactly. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So like. Yeah. The algorithm knows I want to see Petite Maman. Yeah. I, yeah. I, sure. I very much that. It's, that uh, you hear that algorithm? Celine, yeah. Celine Siama's uh, film is coming across your uh, your feed. Well, we're talking uh, we're talking directly into microphones. So hopefully our <laughs> phones are nearby. They'll they'll get this. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. I think this is a wrong place, wrong time kind of movie. Um, and I, I mean, I, this is anecdotally, <clears throat> that's what I specialize in. I have a doctorate in anecdote. Yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor anecdote. <laughs> this feels like a movie that, or, or, or this style of film and what sort of happened to it, like, it's silly because. This movie, I feel like, the way it was marketed, at least what I saw and whatever, would have had the same reception entirely whether or not it was good or not. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like the kind of thing where, like, if I was like, what won't make money in 2021 in the current cinematic landscape? Yeah. I think this won't make money. Like, I I, I just, and again, uh, you know, studios hire me, but uh, <laughs> hindsight is the best type of sight. It's just to me, I'm like, no one's really looking for period pieces right now in this sort of couched way. And you're not marketing that what makes this version of it kind of special. So mm, I guess and, 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 and your demographic isn't going to the movies and you're really only releasing it in theaters to start hmm. like I, 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 and the budget's big. I get it. You got to make that money back. But like, I, I feel like this is a. Before anything else, I feel like it is a a few bad business decisions around this film that actually tank it. And sadly, has a has that's seventy five percent of it. And the movie itself, I feel like, is like twenty five percent of it. Like <laughs> we, it's we're weird. Doing, we, I, I think we are doing like a completely um, uh, anecdotal, uh, hypothetical conversation about how the actual metrics of movie business works, and that's fine. Like that's that's what we do. Well, but technically, I think- all the stuff we do is anecdotal because we haven't worked on any of these movies that we've ever talked about. So well, no, but that but that is not a barrier to like being able to discuss them with some. No, with that's some- why. I'm, yeah, we <laughs> but, listen. But, we understand. But, but, this is what I'll say here. We yeah. do understand media budget we might not understand precisely how a movie studio does it or whatever but i will say let's not discount our actual um history and or knowledge base of this kind of thing we might not know the specific numbers but i think we we know kind of what executives in a broad sense tend to lean towards in different directions but but my point is the only thing we can like the 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 tornado of circumstances are all things none of us can control, right? Sure. Like, like there's there are decisions that are being made that are into, that we are entirely powerless to. So I will bring it back to Jose's original email, Ooh. which is go see Flea, and like you know like go find those gems that actually speak to you and that you know and Takes pay money work. for them and pay money for them and support artists that you think are interesting and you know go see Flea. That that's oh. kind of what I what I'm saying. I think the last deal is very good, and I and I did I did enjoy it. I will say go see Flea. <laughs> and, you yeah, know, like, I, I'll say go see Flea because it and, sounds and like it's a really good flea. movie. And, hunt or, or out hunt, Flea. Hunt out Flea. It doesn't even need to be Flea. Yeah. What I'm saying is this: yeah. the last duel is good. Do I think yeah. you should watch the last duel? Yeah, I think you might be surprised, as I was, to uh, your actual <laughs> connection or, or whatever to to what was being shown. The the other thing to Shear's point, 
take take the take the bad story of the last duel's box office and use that to fuel yourself to fight. If you're getting sick of the things that you're having to go see in the theaters and the things that are being marketed to you and da 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 da. There are other movies out there that will scratch the itch that you feel like you are missing. The problem is you have to do more work. And yeah. in this case, straight up, I didn't do more work and I slept on the last duel. Hmm. Weirdly, I liked the surprise of going into yeah. it. I think yeah. that helped it. So there's a there's look, there's it's complicated. There's a pendulum. Bottom line is search for smaller stuff you think you dig. That's yeah. really what we're saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've been and talking there's a in lot circles. of great movies out right now. And and you know, uh, what was uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho's thing? Which was like, if you can get over the one inch barrier of a subtitle, oh yeah, the entire world of cinema opens up to you. I was really and, happy to see. I haven't finished it yet. I was. Yeah. This is more television, but I was really happy to see how well Squid Game did. Yeah, I actually watched um, Squid Game just recently, and it's, uh, it's, it's terrific. It's great. It's really- like, and I love that. Like, it didn't matter that it was uh, again South Korean people watched it, and like yeah, that's just biggest thing on the planet. Yeah, so I think that's really, really uh, a, a good sign of the times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I, I actually come to think of it, I don't know who watched it subbed and who watched it dubbed. So I don't yeah. know. Uh, it, it, whatever. But here, here's what I recommend: watch the last deal uh, sub in uh, French. Yeah. French vocals. <laughs> This English is one where I'll advocate for watching it in in uh, dubbed. When uh, I watch uh, it next time, I will. Yeah, I think I will watch this movie again. That's so strange. Good and good. I'm glad I own and, it now, so I yeah, better. You, you can watch it anytime you like. And <laughs> until until the heat death of Amazon, I will uh, I will own or until they decide I don't own it. I don't know how it works. We don't <laughs> own anything we own anymore. Right. Everybody, this has been the only podcast about the last duel. Shahir, when you are not throwing down the gauntlet. For the for the honor and justness of cinema, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me sort of trying to figure out how to get to a movie theater since I haven't done it so long uh, at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are fracturing your life into three different narratives, one from your point of view, the other from Jamie, your girlfriend's point of view, the third from Zoe's point of view, your cat, where can people find you? You can find the entire truth meowed at you at nauseum over at my <laughs> website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works also skeletor the number four prez on instagram or psn that's right at me let's play some games let's do this people come on i'm bringing that back and also emperor msk on twitter also please check out the good works we're doing over on extra credits on youtube i gotta say this was such a nice companion piece to our 30 years war series uh, again uh, uh the history of england podcast by david Crowther is a wonderful series you should check out as well but we got lots of stuff around this time period um, and all others. I think, what's the next one? Oh, actually, this isn't the same time period, of course. By the time this drops, we'll have just started our series on Japanese militarism, the buildup uh, between uh, World War One and World War II. Um, uh, that is is absolutely fascinating and um, a little bit terrifying based on the way that our entire planet is going. Um, yes. So, you know, if you want to see some patterns... Go check that out. And then, ooh, we just released uh, uh, So You Haven't Read on The Hobbit, which, again, I have to give a huge shout-out to our writer, uh, R. Kevin, and uh, our artist, Jordan, who did so – it's so good. 
and I get to throw in not one but two, including the ad read, three references to Leonard Nimoy's absolute banger, <laughs> the ballad of Bilbo Baggins. So uh, if that if that uh, tickles your fancy, please go check that out. I really want that at one to do good. And uh, yeah, next week we will be talking something. We have to actually discuss right after this, right after we're off the air, Shahir. We have to discuss sort of our holiday plans because we're coming up. We're all going to be busy. We got to do yep. some sort of holiday movie. Um, I, I know Blake Gingrich over at, uh, on Instagram, whatever his uh, Twitter handle, uh, Instagram handle is, is reviewing or discussing all the Hallmark Christmas movies again. Should we? <laughs> should we? I'm going to ask you a question live on air. Should we just get Blake and have him pick? Because Blake, for, the, for those of you who don't know, we did this last year, or we, we talked with Blake last year. Blake watches and sort of does like reviews or analyzes all of the Hallmark movies that come out in that year, and there are tons. Blake could pick the film that we have to do because I feel like there's no one better on the planet to pick that kind yeah, of film. Yeah, if I ask Blake, what is the best Hallmark movie? Or not even the best. Think. What's the most interesting Hallmark movie for the holidays to discuss? <laughs> I would love to have Blake come on and do that. Also, Blake, we're calling us, you out. Yeah, email us in at Only Movie Podcast if you have a specific Christmas movie that you would love. Uh, or any holiday. Discuss. Yeah. Um, I have Halloween. Not seen a, I have not seen A Christmas Story. I've never seen that movie. Really? So, yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, yeah we yeah. could do that. I don't know. And then, we, like you said, we have an embarrassment of riches. Maybe we'll do another poll. Maybe we'll figure something out. I do want to try to get uh, No Way Home uh, on the <laughs> podcast one way or the other. Um, Shahir, I hope you go to that screening because then we can actually talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, again, the movie's not the attraction there, although I'm sure the movie's fine. I'm just uh put that on the poster. I'm, I'm sure, sure the movie's, the movie's fine. fine. Sheer yeah, down. Sheer down. The only podcast about me. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. One of our listeners can do that. I'm sure some uh, someone has got a few minutes to mock up a movie poster and it just says, I'm sure the movie's fine. <laughs> wow. Well anyway, we will talk at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we very much appreciate it. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for the kind words. Uh please send more in onlymoviepodcastgmail.com. Until then. Try not to try not to get in any duels. I think no that's duels. no duels. No duels. Or fight. just do the glove slap. Glove slap, baby. Glove slap. That's we, where it's at. Glove we've, slap. We've we've we've. Maybe, maybe we should go back to doing this at night. <laughs> baby, glove slap. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.